This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Journey Within Podcast. I have a great guest with me today and, and one that I actually talked to quite a bit about um, hunting locations and so forth before I get there. That's Jason Berger, who's the Director of Outdoor Adventures at Worldwide Trophy Adventures. How are you doing today, Jason? Good, Mark. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining. So, um, Jason's been in the industry for a long time. We're going we're gonna to hop into that. But Jason, Jason um, is the Director of OA, um, which basically means... And I'm, Jason, I'll let you explain it. What does the Director of OA mean at WTA? So we've got two divisions here at Worldwide Trophy Adventures. We have the Outdoor Adventures Division, which I oversee, and the Tags Division, which Eric Pollock oversees. On the Outdoor Adventures side, we work with hunting and fishing trips worldwide um, that historically do not require uh, drawing the permit. So landowner tags, CWMU units, uh, allocations in Canada, and then your international trips where the outfitters secure the the uh, licenses to to conduct hunts so whereas on the tag side uh limited draw areas uh you know where you're you're building a strategy to draw draw limited tags in, in uh you know high-end units uh, all across the you know the western states and and other parts of the u.s and let's i guess let's hop into your your history so how long have you been in the hunting industry and how did and i guess where was your first first stop along the way in the hunting industry <laughs> Right on. So, um, yeah, I went to college, graduated, had that shiny degree, you know, and which college? As most, I went to Minot State in North Dakota. Okay. Graduated with a degree in biology, and, and uh, you know, I grew up on a family farm in North Dakota, and you know, as as you know, fourth generation, uh, you know, my family's been in the farming industry. I went to college and. Was looking to possibly go to grad school, veterinary school, or optometry. In the meantime, long story short, um, while waiting to get accepted to grad school, I was kind of in that interim and, uh, you know, just out of college and, you know, bouncing around trying to figure out what, what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. And got a 
job at Shields in Fargo, North Dakota, and started working there and uh, just fell in love with the passion uh, uh, for the outdoors. I mean, growing up, I had that passion and, and I lived it, breathed it, and, you know, and, uh, you know, I started working at Shields and, uh, you know, basically a long story short is I continued down the path of the outdoor industry. Um, when you started at, up, at Shields, were you just working, working the floor? Yep. Okay. Yep. I was just a sales associate. Uh, it was a great training platform, working with customers, talking hunting, fishing, and gear, and yeah, you, know, you just yeah, I learned a lot and learned how to work with customers and and to uh, just to relate to the outdoor industry. That's great. So then, from Shields, how did uh, how did you make the transition over to Sydney? So. Ironically, uh, you know, you have your customers that buy your, you know, your guns and fishing rods and stuff. And one of my one day, one of my customers said, "Hey, are you interested in possibly another venture?" And I'm like, "Well, what what is that venture?" They the family owned a fly-in fishing lodges in Canada, so you know that decision was. Um, you know, relatively short. I uh, I went to work for a family-owned operation that owned a, a, a large fishing operation, destinations all across Canada, fly-in lodges, and and uh, you know across Manitoba and and uh, on the border of Ontario. So I I ran the the sales and marketing um, for that uh, operation for a number of years, and at the same time, that same family. Uh, wanted to get into the hunting industry. So we developed a lodge in central North Dakota and, and got that off and going and got tied up with the Bellows Outdoor Adventures and used to do the, the all the sports show circuits and then go and sit in Bellows retail stores and uh, during their club events weekends and their you know fall expo, spring expos and, and you know it was one of three or four outfitters that were allowed in the stores to be able to uh, solicit and just Get out information, and you know, after a number of years of doing that, because all those outdoor adventures now sending me customers, and I personally guided them in, in North Dakota, and uh, they asked me to come down to Sydney, Nebraska. And long story short, twenty years later, here I am. So, how how old were you when you start when when you were helping with the lodges and so forth? How old were you then? Uh, Twenty five. Okay. And then when, so, and how, how old were you when you started in Sydney, Nebraska? I would have been, let's see, it'd be 30, 30. 29, 30. Yep. So I've been down here 18 years, 19 years. What was the move like, um, into Sydney at that time? Well, you know, <laughs> I was living in Fargo, North Dakota, and I just purchased my first, uh, twin home and, uh, you know, and I got the call that, you know, they were interested in me coming down and. I remember driving to Sydney and, you know, going from Fargo, younger, larger community to Sydney, a much smaller community. It was, it was kind of eye-opening. Um, yeah, you know, it was leap of faith. You know, I, I, I wanted to be in this industry. I wanted to uh, help people. And, uh, you know, this, this, this job, this occupation, is, that's all we do. We, you know, we help people fulfill their, their dreams. And, uh, but no, it, it, I'm ten hours from um, home, and and uh, you know, I was able to move my house and move down to Sydney, Nebraska, and get established here, and it's been good. It's been very good. Haven't looked back since. So you mentioned that no, you you did uh, a lot of hunting growing up. What type of hunting was that? 
you know, primarily waterfowl hunting and, and grouse hunting and, and some pheasant hunting, you know, but, you know, our waterfowl hunting growing up as a young kid, you know, it, it was based off of, you know, a bunch of local farmers and we would go and, and, and we'd sit on a line. Back then they had what they called waterfowl rest areas that were established by the federal and state. They're the areas where the birds were allowed to sit so that they wouldn't get pressured so they wouldn't leave the state and be pushed out. So we'd go, you know, we'd spot them at night and then in the mornings we'd just go lay along a firing line is what they called it and pass shoot. I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't decoys. There wasn't, you know, it, there may have been, but we didn't have them. Uh, we had our wingmasters and our, our single shot 20 gauges and we'd go sit and wait. And when the first flock came out and take off and move down to that area and, and just follow the, follow the birds as they came off the water to go feed. But waterfall hunting was what we lived for. And, uh, you know, it just, today it's, you know, it's a lot different than it was back then. Definitely a lot more organized. You said you, did you whitetail hunt back then too? Yeah, we did. You know, you know, bow hunting was really, really big. It's over the counter in North Dakota. It starts early. The season starts, you know, last, uh, historically the last Friday in August or, and, uh, runs through December. So, um, but yeah, archery hunting, whitetails was always really big, uh, you know, primarily private lands and, uh, growing up on a farm, we had farmland and scouting all summer and, yeah, no, it was fun. It just it kept us busy. It, you know, we were always out in the field, whether we were farming or working cattle or, you know, spotting deer. That's that's what our life consisted of. That's a it's a it's a great life to be a kid like that. If you think about it now, yeah, not, not many yeah, people I get would. to get to experience that in today's world. But that's that's the exact same way that I grew up too, and I wouldn't wouldn't have it any other way. No, I wouldn't either. It, it really you, you learn to. You know, you didn't you didn't have video games. You didn't have you know we didn't watch TV. We'd leave you know we'd be up and out in the morning at sunrise and we wouldn't get back till after sunset. You know and yep. you know work all day and then try to you know North Dakota at five six o'clock at night you still have four hours of light left so you'd go fishing or shooting gophers or you know you just you'd be outside you wouldn't be inside. Anything so. that got you outside and and your mom and dad weren't mad at you because you were sitting in the house. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yep. I hear you. So I've got a laundry list of topics here. Just because you've been in the in the hunting and fishing industry for so long, and like I consider what what we do at WTA as as far as helping people arrange those those trips of a lifetime, right? Like I I would say we're not a, a gun manufacturer or somebody like that. We're like we're in the hunting and fishing industry, right? We're the we're the, the main core um, outfitters. Us like that's that's the main core of of we're in the service yeah. industry. I mean that's what we're here for. We're here to serve in customer service and provide a you know a positive experience for somebody to help them find you know what they're looking for. It's a you know it's a small industry to us. We're in it every day. Yep. You know, uh, it just, yeah, it, it, we're in the people business, people service. So how have you seen the industry change over the last 18, 20 years that you've been doing this same thing? Yeah, it's, it, it's changed a lot. Um, you know, for starters, technology. When I started, I remember walking in my first day and then handing me a, a catalog and saying, well, here you go, you know, start, start learning, you know, start learning our offerings. And, you know, it was you know, and our phone would ring at Cabela's. It would ring, you know, all day long. And, and that 
catalog was our it was it was our it was our book and and customers would receive the catalog once or twice a year back then and and they would keep it i mean it was their coffee table book and and it, it just you know they'd call and inquire on trips now understanding it was only a handful of the trips that we mm-hmm. had to offer you know in today's world uh back then there wasn't facebook there wasn't instagram there wasn't you know there was email but not many you know, it was dial up for most of the, the communities and mm. it was, you know, it just it took forever. So it, it was primarily, uh, you know, catalog and phone calls and building those customer relationships with my outfitters and, and my longtime customers uh, over the phone. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely changed a lot from that point of view, uh, just the way customers found us and, uh, you know, through catalog. And today now, you know, our website is phenomenal. We've got a ton of offerings all over the world there. Um, and hunting in general has changed. Uh, you know, the, the, there was a, you know, the old school generation outfitters and now they're the next generation is starting to take over. So it's, it's been a lot of fun watching. I, I worked with a lot of, you know, uh, the older generation outfitters that have now passed their baton on to their, their kids and, and watching them take over and working with them. And it's just, it's, it's been a lot of fun watching it, watching the, you know, their outfitting businesses mature from when they started it and watching the kids take the, the values that were instilled from them uh, and uh, put it into their business. Uh, the game itself, you know, I remember selling, you know, woodland caribou hunts in, in Newfoundland for 2500 bucks, and I believe back then you could shoot two of them. I mean, it, it, and now they're, you know, north of 30, and there's, you know, the tags are so extremely limited, they're almost impossible to get. So, you know, every outfitter has, you know, six to maybe 12, 14 allocations. Uh, you know, caribou hunting in general all across Canada. Uh, you know, Central Barren Ground is, is extremely difficult. Um, you know, the Quebec Labrador, they closed that season up four or five years ago. Uh, so while you're while we're on that, I'm going to stop you because I actually had caribou hunting as one of the things I wanted to talk to you about Um on the Quebec Labrador, what do you like? What's your opinion? Is there a chance that ever opens back up? You know, I talked to a couple of the guys up there that I used to represent, the outfitters that are now making their living in outfitting business with fishing trips, and, mm-hmm. and you know, they're they're trying, but I think it's 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 very political. Uh, you know, I you know, there's a lot of headway, and uh, you know, I think. I think it has potential, but I think there's a lot more education that has to be put out there um, for people to understand the value and the concept of conserving those those herds up there and 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 what hunting brings to those communities. Um, you know, but there's there's we're we're a long ways away from that. I you know it's it's you know, there's a lot of headwinds there. Yeah. Oh, and you mentioned a couple things. You mentioned that magazine. I remember being younger and having that copy. And I'd keep that all year, right? Like you probably hear this from a, a, a bunch of past clients. So I kept that copy all year and those pages would be worn more than any other book in my house of flipping through and reading the details and, and just studying and, and hopes and dreams and wanting to go, right? Right. Yep. That's, that's it. Yeah, no, the catalog is fun. I mean, it, it is. It, it, it's, it's, it's our passion. It relates to our customers and it's just, you know, it's, you know, I, I look forward to that as well and what's new and what's coming and what's changing. But yeah, I know it's fun. So when you have, when you have customers call that are interested in a trip, what are the, what are the top questions that they, that you normally get asked? 
Oh, that's a good one. Um, you know, usually everything boils down to price, yep. you know, and, and then perception needs to be reality. Uh, you know, uh, you know, just take, for example, a customer wants to go elk hunting and they want a big bull. You know, we need to define what the definition of a big bull is. Yep. You know, your definition of big and their definition of big and my definition of big are different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think it's important that when customers are looking to schedule trips that they have a list of questions that they, you know, that they don't understand or what they're looking for and to understand, uh, you know, the trip that they're really looking for and what they're looking to get out of it. You know, if, if there's an issue with a trip, it usually boils down to lack of communication. Um, I can't stress enough that over-communicating and, and allowing a, a professional consultation to, to, to really dig into what you're looking for and what your expectations are so that, you know, hopefully we can put together a trip that matches, you know, those expectations. And I think you kind of hit the nail on the head there. And I've heard from a lot of clients at WTA that have worked with you for, I mean, as long, not to age you, but as, as some that have worked with you since the beginning. Um, and ones that have started working with you along the, the 18 year, um, period that you've been here is that one of the constants that I hear from when I work with Jason is that I a hundred percent know everything that's going to happen and there's no hidden surprises, right? Like you're, you're that, and, and I'm going to get into this, what, what in your opinion makes a good consultant in the outdoor industry. But for me, it's one of those things is at WTA, we don't hide anything, right? Like it's not, there's nothing right. to hide. It's not saying like, no. Hey, this is a great trip. We're going to send you there. And then all of a sudden it's a dud, right? Like that doesn't do anything for anybody. So when, like no. what, what makes a great consultant in, in, in your opinion and having so much experience in the industry? Uh, you know, a consultant has to have a, a good moral compass. I mean, he's got to be working for you. You know, it, what makes, what in my opinion makes our team here at WTA different is we work as a team. Uh, you know, I have open door policy. I have a lot of younger consultants who maybe don't have as much experience in specific areas as maybe some of the senior consultants where our doors are open and they're constantly walking in and asking questions. Uh, you know, and, and they're doing a lot of traveling and experiencing these destinations firsthand. You know, undersell so our outdoors can over deliver. Our alphas are our partners. They're you know, our friends in most cases. We've worked with them for many years. And, and the last thing that we want to do is oversell something. You know, so if we're not sure, we're going to make sure we find the, the information, the correct information. Uh, make sure that we understand what the customer is really looking for and their capabilities. You know, it, 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 it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's based on really, really good communication and uh, being honest with yourself and what you are capable of doing. I'm often asked, you know, how tough is the hunt? Well, that, that's an interesting question because, you know, tough to one person is different to all. Do you mean physically tough? Do you mean traveling mentally mm-hmm. tough? Uh, you know, so, you know, for one person traveling to Asia and going through five different airports and then not speaking a language might be extremely tough. Whereas once he gets there, he can go up Everest, you know, I mean, but, you know, for another you know, the challenge of going to Colorado mountains or, you know, the, you know, the Canadian Rockies is difficult and challenging being in the remote. So, you know, understanding, understanding the customer and, and making sure that we're making decisions based on their best interest. Yep. And you kind of, that's another good point you did, right? I've seen people on a sheep mountain that have been in the best shape of their life that after one day up there, it, it cracks them, right? 
but you see somebody right. that, that's mentally tough once they get there and they may be a hundred, uh, 150 pounds overweight, but they're there the whole single time grinding out every day. Right. Yeah. And you know, and I tell customers during the consultation, you know, it's good. I want you physically prepared. The more physically prepared, the more enjoyable your experience, but don't, don't forget about, the mental part too. I understand that there's going to be delays. Understand that, you know, these sheep hunts are 10 to 14 days for a reason, because that's how long they anticipate it'll take for yep. you to have an opportunity and that, you know, you're going to have three or four or five days of downtime, but you know, it only takes, you know, a matter of minutes to, to, for the clouds to clear and, and everything to change. So, um, you know, that mental aspect of it is really a, it's a big one. It really mm-hmm. is. And no one knows that better than yourself. So I've, I've had a lot of days in a tent to where you, you're sitting there questioning a lot of choices, but then all of a sudden you get that one chance and, and you make the most of it, and that's what you're there for. Right. Especially right. brown bear hunting. I think one of my guides on a brown bear hunt told me brown bear hunting is 99% misery and boredom and 1% ecstasy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's uh... – yeah, it, it certainly can be. It's it's uh, it, you put in your time for that that moment, and yep. when that moment hits, it's game time. And uh, but it's still it's one of probably one of North America's most exhilarating hunts. Uh-huh. Um, you know, the brown bears. It, it's just a it's a majestic animal, and they're just awesome. We saw a lot of them. Nope, there's nothing nothing like it. So let's bounce let's bounce back to caribou. You were kind of covering. Um, Woodland Caribou, then Quebec Labrador, but I guess Caribou in, in general, right? Like not very long ago, what would you say? 10, 15 years ago, like you mentioned the prices for a Woodland Caribou and then the Barren Ground Caribou in Alaska used to be so inexpensive to go up there and you used to be able to shoot two and it's just changing for all the species across, across the board everywhere. Yeah, it really is. And, uh, you know, and to credit the, you know, the, it's not, it's not everybody, you know, I hear it all the time. The outfitters are, are charging too much. Well, it's not, it's not really that, no. As, you know, especially since COVID, um, the cost of fuel, the cost of food, the cost of insurance, the guide, you know, employing your guides, full-time guides, as opposed to them working in the oil fields or, you know, it's just quality people to produce a quality product. Everything just costs more. And, and ultimately that's passed down to, to the hunters and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just, yeah, it's changed. It's, it's, you know, the airlines have made things more expensive. Everything is, everything has just went up and, and, uh, it's not just in the hunting industry, but you know, the caribou right now, I mean, there's like Alaska has become more challenging, you know, just a couple of years ago, Western Alaska, the number of areas closed, shut down. And, uh, you know, they went from two caribou to one caribou over the past, you know, several years. Um, it's just it's been inconsistent whether you know one may call it uh global warming the other may call it uh political you know whatever it is it, there is changes uh, that have happened and that are yet to come so you know caribou is one of those uh animals that if guys are going looking to do that i would suggest they do it sooner than later because we really don't know what the future holds in the caribou world um, we still have some really good operations in, in alaska um, We've got good mountain caribou hunting in the Northwest Territories and the Yukon uh, and parts of northern BC. Um, you know, we've got some central barren ground caribou in, in Nunavut. Um, we've got a new area up there that one of our outfitters has just uh, 
been entitled to go in and conduct a few hunts in. We're excited about that. Mark, we're going to get you up there hopefully next year. Um, you know, Quebec, I, you know, I really don't have a forecast on that. So that one's going to be on hold, you know, and then, and then the, uh, the woodland over in, in, uh, Newfoundland and we've got some really good offerings there and then you know for the guy that's looking for just you know reindeer caribou you know Greenland I mean we're sending a lot of hunters over there for combination hunts whether it be muskox uh reindeer slash caribou or or uh you know fishing combos so that that's a good that's a good alternative too if you're looking to just get out and have a good experience so um yeah there's 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 some really good um destinations out there these elk areas are tried and proven i've worked with all of them for a long time um you know they're they're going to control the control of those it's, so it's it's uh i would suggest you know putting that at the top of your list so i know like when dad so the first ever um hunt, big game hunt that i did besides a whitetail when i was when i was younger was my dad took me um to go back to go caribou hunting Right, like at that time, it was a it was a very inexpensive hunt. The travel wasn't that bad. Now, now this was hold on a second. Let me do this. This is, I mean, holy smokes, this is twenty eight years ago, right? So that's okay. It's been twenty eight twenty eight years since I've done this, yeah. but that was very common. First big game hunt that you could go on because you could shoot two at that time. It was fairly yeah. easy. You could go as a group. It was a real adventure type, like. As times change, like what is the what what are you seeing as people's first call it big game that's not a whitetail hunt? What are most people doing now? Um, you know, antelope is really popular. Mm -hmm. Uh antelope in Wyoming and in Colorado, New Mexico, and Montana. Antelope's popular. Uh, you know, mule deer uh, is always probably one of the most popular western big game hunts. Um but yeah, I mean Besides whitetails, I mean, whitetails is probably, whitetail and elk are the most popular big game species in North America by far. And whitetail simply because everybody has them in their backyard for the most part across the lower 48. Um, and elk is usually uh, at the top of everybody's list as well. But um, antelope is a really good intro uh, hunt. Um, you know, it kind of all falls in. A lot of, there's a lot of hunters out there that are getting more into the wing shooting and, and the bird hunting. And, and, you know, so there's, you know, you just have to find your groove and, and, and uh, you know, what your aspirations are. Uh, a lot of the international travel. We've got some really good packages in, in Africa for plane game. You know, um, you know, Argentina and, you know, some of these elk hunts have gotten expensive. So a lot of hunters are traveling to, to uh argentina in the spring to, to hunt the roar for the mm. stag you know that's it that's been very very popular um so yeah i mean uh, antelope is is extremely popular although now the last few years the draws have, have, have complicated that a little bit more but um you, know, you can start building your points in wyoming and, and uh oh we've got guaranteed tags in, in uh, colorado and new mexico and montana so let's uh let's transition because we talked about whitetail a little bit. In your opinion, what are the I mean, what are the top whitetail states? I I got a feeling I'm gonna know which two you're gonna pick right off the bat, but let's talk <laughs> top five. Oh, you have to look at like Ohio, Kentucky, Kansas, Iowa, and uh, you know, then there's always Texas and yep. Nebraska. Um, you know, I'm a big fan of, of Canada. 
You know, I, oh, yeah. I really am. I send a tremendous amount of hunters to Canada. Um, you know, there's there's a there's a big difference between Canada and and the U.S. And you know, hunting crown land up in the North Country versus hunting a lot of managed private lands down in the lower 48. Um, you know, whitetail is really popular. They are. They're smart. They, you know, a mature buck can live in your backyard his whole life, and you don't even know he's there. Yep. Uh, you know, it's it's a it's the challenge of outsmarting an animal that's you know it's highly intelligent and uh, very keen. Um, you know, seasons are, are historically will run you know depending on the state anywhere from September all the way into December depending on the weapon they're using. So, um, and they're abundant. Uh, you know, so it, it is it is you know. But as far as you know, I, I, Kentucky has really I've been a good state. You know, those velvet hunts in Kentucky have been they're so popular you can't even get hardly get into them. So, you know, that's certainly one to look at. Um, you know, being and Canada, if you've never, you know, if you've never uh, been to Canada before, uh, you know, it, it certainly is. It, it's an experience. It really is, and uh, you know, you just have to deal with a little bit of cold, but that's. That Saskatchewan that you're talking about, it's so, so different. Like I've hunted whitetail my whole life and the Saskatchewan hunts so different because it's so like, you may go here like in Michigan, right? Like I think I'm pretty rural, but I can go out and on that, that opening day, you hear rifle shots all over the place. You hear cars, you have planes flying over. Like it's the world we live in, right? Like you just have all that, all that noise. And I'm and we're I'm hunting a long ways away from everybody. I can still hear that. When you go in Saskatchewan, I mean, there is nobody there, right? Like it's right. It, most of the blinds don't have cell signals, so I mean, you're you're there in the blind and it's completely quiet. But those big old bucks move all day, and it's not right. like I compare it to here in in Michigan or other places in the lower forty eight. You may see a deer at noon. But it's because somebody was walking out or in, and they busted about stepped on him, and he's running full tilt trying to get somewhere up in Saskatchewan, you'll have a seven-year-old buck come cruising by at one o'clock in the afternoon checking for does because the only right. thing he's worried about is a wolf chasing him or something like that. It's just completely yeah. different. The deer, like I stress this so many times, the deer up there look like a horse. Just, I mean, <laughs> just they're so big, right? Like I think Iowa deer and Kansas deer and Nebraska deer, like those are big deer. Those are small deer. Once you get up in Saskatchewan, you have one come through and you're like, is that a cow coming in? What is that? And it's just a doe. And you're like, what? That is so big. Yeah. But yeah, they are. It's, it, it's fun. And you know, they're, you know, you're hunting, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres. A lot of those outfitters will have 10, 15, 20 square miles of, of timber. Historically, mm-hmm. you're hunting that fringe, that ag, you know, forest fringe where, you know, you're within a few miles, you know, two to three, four or five miles inside that fringe. But no, it's, it is, uh, it is an experience that everybody, any whitetail hunter should definitely have on the top of their list. So my, uh, my good friend, Kevin has been up there a couple of times and it's one that I think if his wife let him, he would literally go up there every single year (laughs) to do it just because he goes, man, it's, it's awesome. He goes, it's completely different, right? Like you're going to get cold, right? But you can dress for it, and you're going to have yeah. a long sit in the blind because you're not leaving during the day because they can come literally at any time. But it's right. so different, so far away. Like, even when you go to the lodges up there, you got great food, the people that are there. But it's just it's, it's different. Like, there's like you can all of a sudden get a foot and a half of snow that dumps in, and you're taking a quad or you're taking a snowmobile into the stand. 
right? Like there's yes. like, it's so different than down here. And once you experience it, like it's, that's why we have so many people that go back year after year. It's deer camp. I mean, yep, it's, exactly. that's it, what it is. is. Yep. That's what it I is. Mean, yeah. It, it's, it's not, it, it's the hunt in those days. I mean, yeah, I hear that a lot when guys are like, ah, oh, I can't sit there that long. You'd be surprised. The days aren't that long in the middle of the winter nope. in Saskatchewan or Canada. And you know, it goes by pretty fast because of that anticipation and like you said earlier, there's deer moving through at any given time, you know, in lower 48, at least, you know, for a lot of areas, you know, with an exception of the peak rut, you know, historically the deer are moving in the morning and the evenings. We're up there in the in the, in the timber and in the woods. It, it's all day. Yep. There's activity. So yeah, it, it passes by. And then when you get back to the lodge, like you said, the camaraderie of being with your buddies, playing cards, telling stories and you know, the one that got away and it just, it, it, there's something, there's something about that atmosphere and that entire experience that is just, it's, 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 you gotta have it. Gotta yep. try it. Gotta do it. Yep. Exactly. Now elk hunting. So here's a, here's another good one. What are the top elk states? Uh, you know, for me on the outdoor adventure side, we, we do a lot with, uh, Colorado, Utah and New Mexico, just simply because of the guaranteed tags, landowner tags and, and CWM units in Utah, as well as uh, the landowner vouchers in Colorado and ranching for wildlife. So, you know, for, for my side of the business on the outdoor adventures, we, we work with a lot of outfitters in those prim- primarily in those three states, as well as, you know, El- Alberta uh, and British Columbia um, for some more, for more of a wilderness experience. Um, but yeah, those three states are, are certainly going to be at the top tier for us. And, uh, you know, it, they're off, you know, historically you'll find, you know, some bigger bulls and yeah, you'll find good bulls in all the states. I mean, you really will. Uh, in Canada, Canada, they have a six point restriction, but there's some really good elk hunting in Canada. Um, you know, so if you're looking for more of that wilderness horseback, get out in the, you know. Uh, we usually point the directions pointed north up into Canada just simply because most of our hunts up there are horseback in the wilderness areas, whereas, you know, you're hunting private properties in, in, in Utah, New Mexico, and Colorado. I travel all over the world and into some of the most remote places known. And for all of my adventure trip insurance, it is a must that I use Global Rescue to take care of me no matter where I am. When you book a trip with Worldwide Trophy Adventures, be sure to ask about Global Rescue Trip Insurance. They will be there when it matters the most. WTA Tags is a full-service licensing program available to today's sportsmen. Bottom line, they help hunters draw the very best limited-entry big-game tags. They offer professional consultation on where to apply and then properly complete and submit your applications to the states. Tags has the easiest, most reliable, and most complete service to assist you in drawing that tag of a lifetime. For a free Tags consultation, call 1-800-755-8247 or visit them online at WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com slash tags. That's WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com slash T-A-G-S. I'm a believer in using the best, and that's exactly what Gunworks rifles are the best on the market. If you want to sharpen your skills and ability, make sure to check out their Long Range University. From the rifle build to the perfect shot, Gunworks is your partner in the pursuit of long range perfection, 1,000 yards out of the box. And that's uh, one of the spots I haven't elk hunted is BC. 
And for whatever reason, it really intrigues me to go there and, and do that hunt just because of how it's done, right? Like it's different. And I just, I, I don't know why it's like elk hunting in the, in the, in the, the mountain part really intrigues yep. me. Yeah, you'd love it. Um, there again, this is one that I really focus on with customers. We're getting a lot of inquiries on on the wilderness hunts, the horseback, traditional horseback wilderness elk hunts. That one there, you have to be very, very mentally tough as well as as, as physically tough. I mean, you have to be able to go. I mean, those hunts are conducted up in remote areas, and uh, the terrain is, 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 you know, it's semi-mountainous. And uh, you're not going to see a lot of elk, but historically speaking, when you do see the, you know, get into them, you'll find some good bulls, but you got to be able to go. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the mental part is maybe hunting a couple days without seeing something or being socked in because of weather. And, you know, we got to stay that positive. You know, seven to ten day hunts for a reason again, like this talked about earlier but no i think it's it is good uh shot opportunities have a tendency to be maybe a little bit lower uh you know probably in that 80 75 to 80 percent the success it's a bit lower than that but again you're seeing you but they have uh point restrictions in a lot of those areas so um you know, but those mature bulls you know if you're looking for you know those hunts usually run around eighty five hundred dollars and and uh, the bulls are taking her in the 270 or the 300. So it's, it's a good Those quality good hunt that, yeah, you know, whereas in the lower 48 here, and that same elk hunt is going to be north of you know, 14, 15. So for a higher shot opportunity hunt on private lands. Um, kind of mentioning tough hunts there. Obviously, everybody thinks sheep hunting for tough. What, what are your tough, what are the toughest hunts, both physically and mentally, in your opinion, in North America? Uh, it, it, it certainly would be the mountain hunts, you know, the, the sheep, the mountain goat. Um, you know, I, those take a lot of, like we talked about earlier, the mental preparation, uh, the physical preparation. Plus, you have a lot of money invested historically in these types of hunts. And I think that adds a lot of stress to these trips for a lot of people, too, is, you know, they've saved, uh, you know, in some cases, their whole life for one sheep hunt. So they've got a lot riding on themselves. They put a lot on themselves uh, before they go. Um, but there again, it's it's simple. I mean, it's, well, it's not simple, but it's it's just take the steps and yep. sit back, understand what you're looking to do and understand how you're going to get there and understand what you should expect from the trip and, and, and take it, you know, like, just today, I mean, we have a hunter going up on a sheep hunt in British Columbia, and the airlines canceled his his flight. So yeah. just you know, you just have to go with roll the flow. Punches, yep. yeah, you know, trip insurance. You know, it, it, there's another thing: protect your investment. Uh, but yeah, life happens, things happen, and and uh, you just you got to roll with the punches. Uh, be as prepared as you can be. Um, don't assume that it's going to be easy. Don't assume anything. Um, you know be as prepared as you can on that on that same um thing because you mentioned the airlines it got me thinking how has how has the industry changed since covid both trends and then also travel obviously is a big one that everybody talks about now well i mean it's 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 relaxed a little bit with like the canadian borders and international travel since the covid testing in most areas have been dropped but uh, you know, I still think there's a lack of flights to a lot of these areas, and 
because of that, um, there's a lot of changes with these airlines, a lot more so than what we used to see. Uh, you know, fewer flights, more limited uh, flight schedules on on day daily flights. Uh, you know, staffing, and we're finding that you know it's not uncommon to have luggage misplaced, lost, or show up two days late. I, you know, I I don't recall it being that bad pre-COVID. Um, you know, so I, you know, we're dealing with, it seems to be a lot more of those types of issues. Um, but I mean, it's, you know, unless you're going to drive up there, I mean, it's, it's, you're going to be flying and you just have to prepare for it. Oftentimes I tell customers, you know, take a day or mm-hmm. two and go in early, just overnight and be there. Yep. And if something happens, you can, you know, you can either pick up your gear if, if there's a place or just wait for it. And most of the time when you're going somewhere, especially up north where you're flying into, if you're thinking Norman Wells or Whitehorse or, or yeah. um, Anchorage, Fairbanks, some of these places, right, that you're going remote, they're pretty cool to spend a day in anyway. And usually on the, on the backside of the hunt, you're so tired and you know how it is right. when you travel, you just want to, you're ready to get home, right? Yeah. Like on the front yeah. side, you're still energetic and so forth. And to see some of those in, in, that you wouldn't normally take time to see adds a lot to the experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's so much history in those areas, so, you know, and that makes the trip. I mean, you got your hunt, but the total package, the total experience, yep, only adds to it. So, yeah, if that opportunity is there for you to get out and get up there early, I highly recommend it on those types of, of trips, just no. due to the travel. Now, I said Whitehorse. I do believe that I spent nine days in Whitehorse as we were transferring <laughs> over the sheep permits so i think i've seen just about every inch of of white horse as as it lays out so i know which restaurant i'm gonna eat at i know like i i don't know if i need to spend any more time there but there are some some towns that i would like to see a little bit more up there yeah no it's i've spent some time in white horse as we all know it's kind of down in that valley there so it gets socked in often and that's usually the that's usually the delay so but well, I yeah can... no I was talking to John last year when I, John Seavers, anybody that's listening to John Seavers, um, runs the BC operation for Stone Sheep. So when dad and I went up there last year, he met us in Whitehorse and we flew out of there. I couldn't believe how much Whitehorse had grown in the last, well, since COVID. The population of Whitehorse, I mean, for a small town, you can say exploded, right? It added, I think, I think it was 25,000 people, but there weren't that many people there to start with. Right, right. Yeah, no, it's, well, it's remote, um. But yeah, no, it, it's it's a real neat area. So if you've never been there, it's certainly and it it's the hub for for primarily all the outfitters up there and yep. some of the outfitters in the NWT. You know, yep. Prior to flying to Normal Wells, they were going in a Whitehorse and from Whitehorse going. So um, yeah, no, it's it's a neat area. It's modern. If if you need anything, you can pick up just about anything you need if if something doesn't show up or you've got something. Yep. Let's uh, let's talk sheep hunting. Um, for a guy that's looking to go sheep hunting, doesn't matter the, doesn't matter the species, right? Um, what do they really need to do to prepare to go on a sheep hunt if they've never been on a sheep hunt before? Uh, you know, they need to set their budget and then, and then be really realistic of when they can go. Uh, you know, unless you're dealing with cancellations, which do happen every year, but we just don't know when and where, uh, 
most of these higher shot opportunities with these these premium outfitters are booking out two to three years in advance. So what I tell guys to do is let's let's figure, let's determine which sheep you want to hunt if it's your first sheep. And then let's let's put a plan together on on a, you know whether it be a payment structure or whether it be timing or whether it be you know let's and let's let's just make the commitment and deposit and start building towards that trip. Uh, you know, for every, you know, depending on the person and maybe the doll sheep and maybe the stone sheep, or, you know, or the bighorn, or you know, maybe go south for the desert. Uh, you know, but there, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of money invested in this. There's a lot of time you're going to have invested in this. So we want to make sure that we really look at what is in your best interest and you know, when, where, what, how, and and kind of fill off, check off all those boxes and make sure we do it right. Yep. Yep. Uh, let's go international. What are the, in your opinion, what are the toughest international hunts, both physically and then also mentally? That's a good question. Um, you know, they're all mentally challenged just because of the travel. You know, when I say international, I usually refer to, you know, South America, Africa, Asia, uh, Europe, um, you know, North, I, I realize Canada is, but it's, I kind of look at that as more of a, that's our step at home take hunts. Yeah, it's yeah, our step brother. Right. We just crossed the border. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, the challenging, the most challenging, I think, is probably, uh, you know, for what guys would say is probably those remotes of Africa. You start looking at Uganda and Mozambique and those areas where you know, require numerous flights and you're in the bush with, you know, uh, various different destinations. Uh, the easiest, the, the most popular ones are the New Zealand's, uh, you know, with the exception of the 15-hour flight. Um, you know, Argentina is very popular for the Red Stag. Uh, South Africa and Namibia for Plains game, Botswana for Plains game are also very popular. Um, you know, so as far as difficulty, uh, you know, you have your Asian mountain hunts, and Mark, you've done a number of those. Uh you know, I, I, you know, for some people, that's probably the most challenging. Um, you know, we do sell a number of them. Uh, like all North America sheep hunts, they take a lot of preparation as well on the ibex. Um, so I, it, it's tough because depending on the person you're talking to, will determine what the you know what what is their biggest challenge or what what they're going to struggle with the most if there is any struggles on the trip. So on on the international train still. Um, for somebody that's never gone international hunting, um, what are some of the top destinations and species that you would recommend? Cause I get, I, I get this question a lot through social media cause I, cause of the travel that I do. And to me, because I've been fortunate enough to go so many places, I could recommend literally probably about 15 right off the top of my, right. my head that are yeah. like, these are, you will go once and you will want to go back multiple times. Right. So what is, what is yeah. your list of those? I'm sure we got some of the same. Yeah. I mean, obviously Africa planes game yeah. is, is kind of the, the drug to get you hooked on Africa. Um, you know, Argentina red stag hunting, whether it be in Patagonia or La Pampa is really, really a cool experience. Um, you know, New Zealand is a super cool country, uh, you know, the Southern Alps down there mm -hmm. and hunting, you know, the tar chamois and, and red stag. So, you know, those are all good uh, international trips uh, that are, you know, relatively easy to get to. They may take some time, but, 
but they're relatively easy to set up. They're, you know, for the most part, safe trips. And, uh, you know, and then now, you know, over the past few years, Europe is, is catching fire as well. There's all kinds of different trips over there that we offer, um, you know, whether it be uh, Croatia or Austria, or, you know, there's, we got a variety of different offerings across the pond. So I actually um, hunted uh, Austria last year, Austria and Hungary, which was awesome and set to go to Croatia um, yep. this fall. And the one thing I can say yep. about Europe, um, a lot of the countries will surprise you at how easy it is to travel in and in and out with a, with a firearm. If you got all your paperwork taken care of, there are a couple sticklers over there, but I mean, there's sticklers everywhere. And the other thing, right. being an East coast guy for me, it's super easy for me to get there. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a red eye over and all of a sudden you land there the next day in the morning and, and I've traveled enough. I could sleep basically just about anywhere. <laughs> So yeah, I sleep for yeah. a few hours on the flight, and yeah, you're tired that that first day at night. But then I I find that helps me adjust to the the sleep schedule anyway. Um, but yeah. that's just one that when you're when you're thinking about planning, um, it's super easy to get there. There's usually a red eye that takes off from any of the I mean Atlanta, Detroit, all those airports, any of the the New York airports take off from there and will get you there. And it's also a great one if you're looking to travel with somebody too, right? Like if you're going with your wife or your kids, you can separate out and hunt for three days and then, then see all the cities over there, right? Like that's old, old cities. They got lots to see, just a great spot. Now on Africa, oh, a ton of, ton of history over there. Um, On Africa, what do you commonly hear for people that go there the first time when they get back? Uh, Honestly, it's that it it, it uh, you know it passed their expectations. It was better than what they had thought. It was you know everybody has a, a vision of what they anticipate a trip to be, and you know Africa is just one of those that it's hard to it's hard to envision what what your experience is going to be unless you've been there before. And yep. I you know I get that a lot. Of, you know I can't tell you how many customers have called and said, "Hey, I'm going to go to Africa. I'm only going to do it once." And I kind of chuckle when yeah. I'm talking to them. I'm like, okay. So we get them all set up and they get back and they're already planning their next trip with, with their buddies or the rest of their family. So, you know, I think it's just perception and reality and, and understanding that we know when you're in Africa, you're not necessarily hunting one species. Like if you go on an elk hunt, you, you may be hunting one species and you'll see four or five others. And, and uh, you know, and, and I think it's the camaraderie, it's the traditional African cuisine, it's the camp life, it's it's the overall experience that that is is just much different than what you'll find in North America. Yeah, there's there's yeah. Some, something about Africa that once you get there, it kind of gets hooked in your soul, exactly. and you're just ready to go back again. Yep, absolutely. No, it's uh, it really is. It's a, it's a unique experience, and. And not one experience is the same as another, depending on the country you go to. And, and like I said, we've got, you know, partners in the travel industry that can help you get there. Uh, you know, they'll help you every step of the way. We'll help you with the outfitter. We can arrange everything from doorstep to doorstep and make that, make it stress-free. Um, you know, it really, it really is. It's, 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 it's a real smooth, you know, like I said, it's just the time, um, doorstep to doorstep. Then once you're, once you're there, and also it's one of those Africa, especially on the Plains game side, it's like, I don't know if a deal is the correct thing, right? Like that's not the right, the right terming, but it's one of the value. best value hunts that you can go on. Yep. Absolutely. It is. And, 
Yeah, for what you get, um, you know, it, it really is. It, it, it is. It's a great value. It's a great intro. Um, and you're busy every day. You're hunting. I mean, and, and the diverse terrain, depending on if you're up in you know, Botswana or in the Limpopo region or, you know, in the, in the uh, Namibia or, or down in the Eastern Cape. I mean, it's very, very diverse. There's a, a tremendous amount of game there. And, uh, you know, the, the professional hunters and outfitters are there. They're in the service industry and they're there to, they're there to make sure you have a good trip. Yep. Yeah, and they do a great job just because, I mean, it, life is different over there, right? Like, it is it is different, yes. and those pHs are as dialed in as they are anywhere in the world. Um, yep, nope, the other, absolutely. The other one you mentioned, and I hadn't really hunted there up until the last couple of years, is is South America and Argentina. Um, just a yeah. a great spot to go. Another one, if you're thinking travel, because it's it's generally the same time zone. Um, or close to it, you're not the, the dramatic a difference of Africa or Australia or anywhere like that to where you can just red eye down and again, you land there the next morning and you're, you're basically maybe have a, depending on where you're hunting, it's either a drive or another inter, in flight within Argentina, which is pretty simple. And then the one thing I'll say about Argentina is you're not going to come back light and there's no <laughs> shortage of wine. So if you want to enjoy great food and wine along with your hunting experience, Argentina is the spot to go along with um, New Zealand. Yeah, I agree with you there. Some of the best, finest beef in the world. I mean, it just, it's, it's just everything about Argentina, the, the, the camaraderie, the people, uh, the hospitality. Um, they're, again, in the service industry, and, you know, they control the controllables. Yep. And, you know, and, and the hunting down there is really, really good. Hey, it just it is. If you haven't experienced that, it's just it's definitely a bucket list trip. Um, you know, I can't say enough. We got a lot of really, really good partners down there, outfitters that have been in business a long time that are there to roll the red carpet the second you step off the plane. Yep. And and that's one too, like I went with the mindset, well, I'm gonna go there and, and do it once, right? No, I'm gonna go I'm gonna go there <laughs> multiple times just because I've it's one of those places you fall in love with when you get there. Yep. Yeah, and you know there is there isn't quite the number of species that you'll find in, in Africa, mm-hmm. but I mean there's a good diversity down there as well, and it, it is economical when you think about yep. you know North America hunting. When you go down red stag hunting, you can go down and hunt free range red stag for you know sixty five hundred to seventy five hundred, and and uh, yeah, it's it's fun. I mean whether you're down in Patagonia or you're in La Pampa hunting the stags, you know it's it's just a it's a very diverse country. Um, and it's got a lot to offer. Yeah. Last species I want to talk about, and that's brown bear hunting in North America. We kind of glanced on it a little bit with the uh, 99% misery and, and, and boredom <laughs> waiting around and the 1% ecstasy. But we get a lot of we get a lot of interest and have a lot of hunters go on, on brown bear hunts. And I just want to have you talk about the different different hunts that, that we offer and, and what to what to be prepared when you when you actually pull the trigger and go on one. Yeah, so, you know, I think the biggest is to determine if you're looking for brown bear or grizzly bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, determine, uh, you know, what type of a bear you're looking to hunt. Are you looking to hunt, a, you know, a coastal bear in western Alaska? Or are you looking to hunt a mountain grizzly in the Yukon? Or are you looking to hunt an Arctic grizzly up in, you know, the North Slope? Um, or if it's the Alaska Peninsula for the giants. Um, you know, so determining... Uh, 
whether you actually are looking for a brown or grizzly, just the other day I had a guy call me and says, yeah, I want a great big grizzly. And I said, all right, that's, that's awesome. We've got those, you know, but we had to determine that actually what he was looking for was a brown bear, mm-hmm. a grizzly bear hunt. So, um, you know, it, it, there is a big difference. Uh, you know, if you're looking, you know, grizzlies have become a lot more difficult to hunt since they closed the season in British Columbia. Um, really, the Yukon and Alaska are the only areas that you can hunt the true grizzlies. Uh, you know, and, um, you know, we've got a phenomenal destination, a couple of them actually in the Yukon where they produce some really, really good trophy quality mountain grizzlies, true grizzlies. And then you have those in Alaska that are just flirting with that that line, the 60-second parallel with the brown bear and the grizzly, mm-hmm. you know, the differentiation between the two. So, uh, you know, if, and then there's southeast Alaska, whether you're looking for a boat-based, uh, you know, we have a lot of boat-based operations in the ABC Islands in southeast Alaska that offer really good uh, brown bear hunting, um, you know, with the ability to have the accommodations back on the boat and maybe a little nutrition to coincide with it. So, um, and then there's the, you know, historically speaking, the largest bears on the planet on, on the Alaska Peninsula, uh, you know, where it's going to be a, you know, a more remote tent camp and you're, you're going to be out in the element. Um, you know, there's spring and fall hunts and, and, you know, with coinciding years and, and, uh, you know, those particular hunts, you really need to plan, uh, you need to plan them out a couple of years in advance, um, Oh, with all the brown bears, you need to plan them out in advance, the boat-based ones as well. Uh, and then we have, you know, hunts in western Alaska as well that do that do very well. All of them are, are good hunts. Um, they all produce high-shot opportunities. They, they uh, with good season, you know, outfitters um, at a wide variety of price points, starting from that, you know, 16.5 all the way up to north of 40. So... Uh, depending on what you're looking to do, when you're looking to do it, and and what your expectations are, will determine where we send you. I've uh, I've been interested on that boat based one, um, possibly on the next time I go back up there, just because I, it's different than what I did down on the down on the peninsula. Um, that one's always always had my interest a little bit. Let's talk as, yeah. we, as we kind of wrap this up here. Um, what makes WTA different? Like why why are we what makes us different from the other ones that are out there? Uh, you know, I, I look at it as a team of guys all working towards the same goal. Um, you know, when you contact our office, you're, you're, you're not working with one. And although you're speaking to one individual, you're working with a team of guys and knowledge, you know, over 150 plus years combined experience here. And, and, uh, you know, we all share, we're sharing, that knowledge and, and we're all working to try to help a customer find exactly what he's looking for. We're trying to help our outfitters, uh, you know, get into the market where they need to be. And, and so they can give their, you know, provide their services to customers. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're a, we're a small business, but I think, you know, we're a small company, but we're, we're big in the, in the outdoor industry. I mean, we're you know, one of the largest booking agencies. And I think our successes are, are because of our ownership, our people, and our culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we live it. We breathe it. Uh, you know, we have a, a – our offerings are very, very diversified. Uh, you know, so we're – you know, we can, we can offer trips, whether it's maybe day excursions or, you know, if you're looking for that 21-day African safari. Um, but we have a team of consultants here, you know, 12 to 
12 consultants here that are here and, and all working together to, to assist our customers. And I always like to tell everybody when you, when you roll into a camp as a WTA client, um, you come with a little bit more, right? Because we've worked with that outfitter so long. There's that relationship that you don't even realize is there when you, when you come into a camp as a WTA client that you've never been to before, because that, that hunter and the outfitter, you probably work with that, that outfit for 10, 15, possibly 18 years already. So there's that relationship that's established already. Um, and again, everything's up front that it's just, it's different. Like I can't put it into the best of words, but I always tell everybody when you book with us and you come into situations like that, you'll completely understand once you get to camp. Oh, you're hundred percent right. A lot of it, like you said, most of these outfitters I've been, they're, they're, they're partners, but they're my friends. Yep. I've worked with them for many, many, many years. And, you know, they've, they've got an understanding of our expectations. We have an understanding of their expectations and, you know, it's just over communicating with the customer. So when the customer gets there right off the bat, it's, you know, wow, this is, this is awesome. I understand why I'm here. I understand why you, you, know, you told me to go here and, and, and the outfitters look forward to our customers. I can't tell you how many different outfitters have called me and go, God, we just love those WPA customers. They come prepared. They, they understand what we're going to do. They're just, they're just they're just fun to have and, and they're fun to have in camps they're, they're fun to, to you know to work with so you know and that's what it's all about i mean we're here to we're here, like we said earlier we're in the service industry we're here to help in any way shape or form and over communicate just to make sure that you know our outfitter and the customer uh can get together and, and create memories you know I, I i tell the guys all the time we're just you know we're we're creating memories one trip at a time. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun. It's, we get to live vicariously through our customers and vicariously through our outfitters. And, uh, you know, fall time, fall's rolling just around the corner. And we're starting to get shoot pictures in, hear the stories. And it's just, it's awesome. It's a fun time of the year. And, and uh, just, it just keeps us going. That it does. So, all right, you've traveled all over. You've been you've been fortunate to hunt North America and around the world. What's the one spot you haven't been to that you wanted, or or the one hunt that you haven't done that you want to do? The one hunt that I haven't done. Oh, that's a. Huh. It would probably be somewhere over in Europe on the ibex. Okay. Um, that's the one species I haven't done uh, a lot of ibex hunting. I sold a lot of them. I just haven't personally done a lot of it but yeah probably ibex would be on on top of the list uh, but yeah no it's it's fun and i look at every adventure i, I look at the people i meet the the friendships that are created uh you know those memories that last a lifetime and, and you know ultimately when when you're you're working with a consultant you're working with you know a, a lifetime of experiences here in their office and and you know working with these outfitters it's um that's fun it's fun i have to ask you mark what's your number one Ooh. trip what did, Ooh. i mean that's you got i mean what would what would be your what would be your number and so i've number been one? i've been pretty pretty darn fortunate to to travel all over um that is a good one. If I if I looked at um, what I haven't done or the area that I haven't gone, I've I've already done this. Um, Mongolia again for a gobi or a, wow. a hang guy. Um, right on. It's just it. It's one of those the people like it's so shocking. The people are so nice there and the terrain. Like I can't explain it 
It's so open, right? Ah. It's so, just like these rolling, and it seems like you can see from one side of the world to the other when you're there. <laughs> it, it's not like you get up in the sheep mountains, right? And they're peaky. Like in BC right. when I was there last year, like you can see, but okay, I can see to that mountain, but I can't see over top of it. In Mongolia, it seemed like a lot of the areas you can just look forever, and it's just this wide open open terrain and and man there are some big sheep there and when you see them moving oh. in, moving in, in their groups you're like oh my goodness this is this is something <laughs> special but yeah, yeah no there's definitely going to be a trip trip back to mongolia for me um but truth i've been blessed i've been able to travel some great spots like we didn't talk about australia um right. great hunts there great people and it's one of those things like you meet you meet strangers when you get there right but they're mm-hmm. friends when you leave. So right. like my WhatsApp every morning, it's always great to see who sends me what, right? Like everybody, especially during the summer when it's dead here, they're hunting everywhere else. So I'm getting scouting pictures and, and trophy pictures of our clients in the field with them and, and just seeing how their kids have grown up. Cause it's one of those things. Like when I just did the age game check there, it was like, I've been this, uh, August 30th this year, I flew 10 years ago, I flew to Alberta to film my first hunt. And that was when I started in the outdoor industry. So I'm sneaking up on 10 years in this. And it's, it's amazing the amount of friends that I've met and made over the last 10 years in the industry. Right. Yeah. No, it's, yeah, I can't, I can't agree with you more. It, um, yeah. It's, and it's all going for a good thing, you know, hunting yep. and conservation and everything. I mean, we're, we're preserving this tradition past time for the next generation. So, um, yeah, we just keep it rolling. Yep, exactly. Well, thanks for your time today, Jason. Um, again, anybody that's listening, if you're you're looking um, just for information or to book that trip of a lifetime, give give Jason and the team in the office a call. Um, we've got lots of offerings and can answer any questions that you need as you, as you're kind of doing your research of of what would be the best spot to go. Absolutely, yeah. Just give us a call, 1-800-346-8747, or go online, WorldwideTrophyAdventures.com, and we've got a wide array of venues and offerings all over the world there. And Mark, I can't thank you enough for your time today. It's been awesome, and uh, happy hunting this fall. Perfect. Thanks, Jason. Stay, Mark. Bye. Thanks for all your support and downloads. If you like this episode, please go and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, as that always helps. Do you want to book that hunt of a lifetime? Then give the team at Worldwide Trophy Adventures a call at 1-800-346-8747. Or if you want to start a tags portfolio for those limited entry tags, call 1-800-755-8247. Enjoy your journey. 